a long time ago on a comics page far, far away. Greetings and welcome to May the Panel Be With You, the Star Wars comic book show brought to you by the Punch-Up Entertainment Network. I am your humble host, Mike Gargoni, and joining me, as always, the dragon lord to my little mutated lizard thing, it's John Campbell. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Oh, boy. Oh, the mutated lizard things, the dragon lords. It's all at play here, man. <laughs> yes, indeed. We are hip deep in a wild mythological battle in, you know, Star Wars. Star Wars. Star Wars. Yes, indeed. Welcome back. Of course, we are right back into it in Marvel Star Wars, the original Marvel Star Wars comic yes. launched in 1977. We are now in 1978. In fact, this issue, issue number 14, was released August 1st, 1978. We are now beyond the year of Star Wars. Beyond but Star the year. Wars is no less popular. Beyond everything. <laughs> beyond story sense and character work. And <laughs> Jesus. Um, yeah. Yes. Uh, we've I've got a lot of the same creative team back. We've got written by Archie Goodwin. We've got pencils by Carmen Infantino. Yep. We've got inks by Terry Austin. We've got colors by Janice Cohen. And we have got letters by Denise Wool. And consulting editor James Shooter. Oh, he's fancy this month. James Shooter. Jim, 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 Jimmy, Jim, Jim. You're putting on airs. <laughs> Well, he I mean this look when when you put out a comic like this, you've got to get formal cuz when you're when you're talking about storytelling this good, this prestigious. This they won awards for this, right? Uh, <laughs> um, I don't I don't know if Marvel Comics was winning awards at any turn at this I point. No, I don't really know what comics awards look like at this time. I don't think I don't think the Eisners were a thing yet. The Eisners and like the Nebula usually has some like graphic novel that might side to it. One, I feel like this was about the time the Nebula was starting. But Nebula like really did feel like well, we're about science fiction yeah. literature here, I, like, so I don't know about that. And stuff and Heinlein mm -hmm. Nebulas, right? You know, it's the right. thing on um, Mythic Quest that F. Murray Abraham's character <laughs> Nebula. Uh, mm -hmm. Anyway, um, yes. Star Wars. Man, yes. it doesn't really feel like the Star Wars we know in this issue, does it? Look, when we open up with a... I just... I want to leap right into the cover here because uh, <laughs> when you leap in with a title like The Sound of Armageddon. Well, that... Armageddon. Yeah. That word right there sticks in my craw I don't miss with Star Wars. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Well, <laughs> it's easier to teach... <laughs> oil drillers how to be astronauts and the other way around that's all we know oh yeah that movie taught us that definitively did they, no, did they it, not stop that astro no <laughs> with the help of aerosmith and steve buscemi of course they did yep um, they the armageddon in the star wars context in the star wars context yeah. armageddon is a very like biblical word oh yeah it it has a very specific meaning mm -hmm. insofar as it is these days generally used as a, a apocalyptic event in which everything is destroyed, right? Yeah. There's An Armageddon. There's a Star Trek episode, a very famous one, called A Touch of Armageddon, or A Taste of Armageddon. Sorry, not A Touch of mm -hmm. A Taste of Armageddon. Great episode. 
Sorry to bring so, up the Star franchise. I mean, it's okay. There's some comparisons to be drawn. Yeah. <laughs> One or two, as, as the fans will never let us forget. Especially at this point, they haven't fully diverged like into their own, because we're still early in the Star Wars. Mm -hmm. right? But, so to say Armageddon as some like apocalyptic event. Right. Especially after the first Star Wars movie presents us with a banal evil empire of bureaucratic evil that can offhandedly destroy a planet. Yeah. You gotta really ratchet up the tension to earn the word Armageddon. And when this comic repeatedly goes out of its way to remind us that this world is a middle of nowhere, out of the way, uh, like, a hick town uh, <laughs> cargo cult, I'm not feeling the Armageddon in this one, John. No, this doesn't earn this title at all. My God. We, yeah, e exactly. In a movie, we literally blew up a planet. And here it's like, uh, uh, what is this? A minor like blood feud between a couple of backwoods <laughs> clans. Uh, it, it, it's it's really and and you talk about the sound of Armageddon. Uh, that has the speaking of Nebula Awards. That sounds like that's a Heinlein short story or something, doesn't it? Now I understand that the plot of this comic revolves around something called a sonic jammer. So I think sound of Armageddon yes. is a play on that. Yes. But it doesn't, it, Armageddon is not delivered upon in this. No, but I didn't see Bruce Willis drilling into an asteroid at any point. No, <laughs> but you're right. Now, and here's the weird thing. If it had been called sound of doomsday yeah. or sound of a doomsday, sure. I would be less up in arms. Already this, know. this is a day of doom of sorts. And we this are, is doom world after I was all. Gonna say, we already know we're on a doom world. So uh, uh, make ads up to me. That's what I'm saying. Like, already we're dealing with some misplays here well and sorry for getting so nitpicky so no early. no 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 valid i mean because once again this is the they're really leading with this so i think it's fair to have expectations about this the other thing i expected based on this cover is for all of our heroes to drop acid <laughs> yeah we got some yeah i expect pink floyd to be playing over the uh the the black light version of this poster as like the the colors in the background swirl and undulate to the rhythm of the music. This felt like they didn't have a cover this month, so it's just sort of like a a hero shot of all the characters and their with their weapons, and then they're like, I don't know, just put a '70s background on it. This Brown. to me is clearly because this is a cover by uh, Carmine Infantino. Correct. This reads to me as. This is what he drew to prove he could draw these characters, yeah. or like his, his his like test character profile page. Yeah, because nothing about this has anything to do with this issue. This could be the cover to any issue of Star Wars, right? Also, the little fucking Luger handgun that Chewie is holding just seems so out of place. And so, well, it's I don't know what it is. It, it, it looks like uh, not in color but in shape. It looks like the golden gun from the Man with the Golden Gun. Ooh, yeah, totally. It does with that square boxy, because of course, for those who remember, and I promise, I, I promised you less Bond talk on this show, but they started this. But of course, in that movie that he carries the gun because it looks like a lighter and a pen and when he puts them together. So that's where it's got that boxy handle, right, 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 right. pen-like barrel. So um, yeah, weird choice. Well, weird rifle on Han too. I mean, like none of this, once again, Guys, you've seen the movie. You know what the guns of Star Wars look like. Well, it looks like Leia's carrying Han's gun, and Luke is carrying a gun similar to Chewie's, but it 
stuff to tell because it blends in with Han's crotch. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's not good color or inking. And then, of course, he's just sort of kind of not holding it in a threatening way, but he's got his classic pink lightsaber, which looks really bad on this almost pink background. Yeah, like you said, this feels like our... We just need a cover. It could be literally a cover for any issue. Well, feels, we don't care. Yeah, this feels like the poster they were selling, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so anyway, let's get into this issue after we... There's almost nothing to say about this cover. Despite us just talking for the last 20 minutes about it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but um, <laughs> we come in on the sound of Armageddon. Uh, well, we get our credits up there at the top. We get a in-media race scenario in which Luke is being savaged by Chewbacca the Wookiee. Well, that was where we Why? Well, as as it says here, isn't it here? That they talk about that he, for some reason, is blaming Luke for the supposed death of Han Solo. So at the uh, editor's note at the end of last issue, yeah. we left our heroes... Uh, seemingly with Han and Leia dead as the uh, the cargo cult of the Wreckers has uh, destroyed or shot at the Millennium Falcon, yep. knocking uh, Han into the sea, uh, which is why Chewie believes him dead. And, of course, it looked as though Luke was in league with these people because he had sort of been shanghaied into helping them. Right. That's and now Chewbacca, an intelligent creature, is deciding to ask zero questions about the scenario and simply murder Luke Skywalker. Yes, it it because what's great is, um, and what we kind of assumed would be the case here, leaving on that cliffhanger. Um, this is all uh, explained pretty quickly if you just let him say like two sentences. Right, though I do like the two sentences we get in a weird circle caption, which we see yeah. a few of in this one. But in this one, it seems especially out of place because it is literally just the narrator telling us a bit of, like, universe lore, which I kind of love, actually. I just wish it was better than this. Sure, because it says, What do you call someone who fights an enraged Wookiee barehanded? Dead. Dot, dot, dot. Old cantina joke. Yeah. Wise man say... You know. <laughs> he who fight Wookiee have no arms. Yeah, exactly. It's that it, sort of thing. I mean, it. They are. This comic has really seized on that one line when they're playing hollow chess. Mm-hmm. Like the whole comic has been like, "Got it, vicious animal," and you're like, "Uh, did you really watch that scene?" Because once again, what we talking about? They're kind of playing. Not that Chewbacca isn't capable of kicking some ass, but like they kind of are playing up the savagery of Chewbacca to intimidate people more than Chewie is some kind of wild, savage creature. Sure. But again, we really only have the one, the one movie, movie to go on at yeah. this point. Yeah. Uh, we we are not going to see the gentle giant aspect of Chewie until Empire Strikes Back, really. Well, and also they've just decided to make him furry as all get out. Because look at that fur, man. He's never looked like that. Well, he is basically head to toe a L'Oreal commercial at this point. He's got flowing hair. <laughs> maybe he's born with it. Maybe it's Wookie Wash. <laughs> Don't steal that. That's going to be my product, folks. Now, uh, fine. You can have Wookie Wash so long as I can have Kashik Chic. Ooh, I like it. Uh, <laughs> chic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, so anyway, uh, uh, as if, as it says here, as if this weren't trouble enough, let's go to the next page and full-on gigantic sea battle. 
So clearly this was a two-page spread mm-hmm. in the in the comic book or as originally yeah. printed. Yeah. And devoid of any context, this is rad. Badass as hell, man. No question. Yeah. We've t- all this stuff is like if this was just a Marvel book or something, I don't, you know, it, any of their other adventure books or something, I, I would look at this art and think, awesome. This Infantino page here rules sea serpents attacking ships and stuff like that. I'm going, what sweet pirate book is this from? Mm-hmm. With the big pirate ship outline in the background of the like decrepit moss covered pirate ship city. I love uh, it. It's it's awesome and yeah in another book without the context of star wars and again without the retroactive context of star wars that we personally have reading it because at this time what is a star wars a star wars is one movie and these comics yeah and maybe splinter of the mind's eye yeah that's just i think we've talked about that's like just come out Mm -hmm. we did look that up that came out like within the last couple issues yeah um, but, but yeah, it's, it's no, obviously like the world of it isn't defined, but so I, I, I do suppose it's sort of the thing of, uh, in, in the defense of these Marvel creators, there's nothing in the moment that says there isn't a planet full of pirate ships in star Wars. Right. But, <laughs> but with the context of with the 50 context. years of star Wars behind us also just, it, it's just interesting that this is what they run to so early just coming off of the movie, they're not... I mean, it, I'll give them this. They don't just go, let's just do more of the movie. They are creating their own stuff. It's wild and weird. But mm-hmm. to be fair, they aren't resting on the laurels of the film. Yeah, and that's one of the draws to this comic, right? Is right. going back and seeing what did people think a Star Wars continuation would look like, barring any other material for context. Yeah. And so when you have comic books which are notoriously a medium in which you just need to get the next issue out oh god yeah you just need to get to enough word counts or page counts that we can publish this thing that is made on basically tissue paper that the kids will buy off of drugstore stands yeah it's it's gonna get folded up into an eight-year-old's back pocket right so while these stories to us seem like wildly out of place, inconsequential, and like weird as all get out, we are witnessing people pushing the frontiers of what Star Wars is, and some of these ideas will stick, and some of these ideas will be cast aside. And some and we just gotta come to grips with the fact that we're gonna be way more in the ideas that are cast aside category yeah. more often than not. Well, and also, but I mean the biggest thing, so I'm looking at harping on more things like this issue in general feels like mm-hmm. you talk about just getting stuff out. This one really does feel like this one runs out of steam, right? Oh, yeah. Well, you can tell by the reduced page count. This one's only a solid 17 pages. Yeah. Uh, of course, that counts the double page spread here. So, like, we're looking at an 18-page comic. Comics in these days were about 24, 25 pages. Yeah. So the rest of those pages would have been ads, which is what makes these books money. Yes, and I have noticed in general... <laughs> This tends to be one of the shorter comics for this era, mm-hmm. uh, and and I just think in general it's they, they, this was a cash cow for Marvel and they treated it sure. As so yes, yeah, so anyway, we've got this giant sea battle going on, uh, and then we've got one of the dumbest characters in all of Star Wars, Governor Quarg. 
Governor Quarg, who again is just so many Heart of Darkness-esque characters who are like the military-esque leader at the top of a cult yeah. who refuses to let any shift in the balance of power dissuade his arrogance about how all-powerful he thinks he is. Yes, uh, and to the point of his own like, hey, this is actively going to destroy everything. He's like, I don't care! <laughs> right. Because uh, he has one of his subordinates here, some uh, Hawkeye-looking motherfucker, um, saying like, but your honor, it's us that's being destroyed if things keep going as they are. We won't have a skimmer left. We've got to set sail, sir. Move the ship before. And he punches him in the... There's a lot of punching in the face on this issue. He goes, mm -hmm. move. Uh, you mean flee, you cowardly sea scud. Sea yeah, I believe we just... Scud. <laughs> sea scud. Uh, <laughs> this is a very... Uh, Sergeant Rock punch here. It's a very Sergeant Rock punch. And I think that Infantino might have worked on some Sergeant Rock in his day. So uh, I, I just I, I constantly think of those old military comics when I see a fist that is the size of a ham and a man whose teeth are bared and his eyes are closed. And that impact like burst of energy that I love. That's very mm -hmm. comic booky. And the whap of that. Also. How is he actually hitting him? I think he's actually, like, not even punching him. He's pulling the fist down across his chin, like if he had an invisible knife or something. Yeah. It's based on the, the motion that we see in the panel this here. This is Korg has invented something that is a mix of a punch and a slap. It's new. It's bold, man. That's the Korg plap right there. <laughs> well, that Korg, he's like an innovator, you know? Um, yeah. But, yeah, I just love this where they're just like, you're going to destroy everything. He's like, nope. I'm pulling it out. And then you got, boy, if he's not threatening to hang somebody in this comic, he's not doing anything, is he? Because he says, you'll try harder or you'll hang. <laughs> yeah. And I also love the he, idea the technology is as limits. So you just need to try harder. Right. Because <laughs> his whole thing is they have caught a Imperial Star Destroyer yep. uh, that is being crewed by pirates. Mm-hmm. The most notable pirate. Crimson Jack. Crimson Jack. Famous hater of pants. Famous hater of and, pants and sleeves. And lover of lounge chairs. And lover of lounge chairs. But they need... Uh, Governor Quarg is so consumed with pulling that thing out of orbit because it will mean a lifetime's worth of treasure and metal that they can use to finally defeat the dragon. Yeah, this will, who are these people who are riding the sea serpents? Because basically the world of this planet, uh, the lone planet in the Drexel system, as we've talked about, uh, it has uh, split into two factions. You've got the, what are these? The scavengers or the, the scrapper? The wreckers. The wreckers, that's it. They're living on the surface in these ships. And then we've got the Dragon's Lords who are, who are living under the water, basically, and have made peace with the sea life of the planet. Yes. And why they are fighting is because... Um, well, I mean, the, re the reason they're fighting... Uh, I know. Well, um... Because you know the the deep seated tensions of yeah, um indeed <sighs> all of that yeah 
as we learn more about these two cultures, there is legitimately no reason they should be at conflict. Well, I have with each no other. idea why that they're that, like they don't seem to be in any way competing with each other for resources or uh, also it's it's this classic thing I love and so many sci-fi franchises do this where it's like battle for control of a planet. Well, a planet's a gigantic place. All right. It, like, right. like planets always just end up being cities or countries in Star Trek or Star Wars, right? Where you're just going like, mm-hmm. do you have any <laughs> This would be like, we want control of this planet, so we're battling Australia. I mean, but we say that after the first Avengers film is control of this planet boils down to the battle for New York, right? I mean, yes, this is true. This is true. And to be fair, that was, though sort of uh, 0.04 an alien invasion that would have spread over the world. Sure, 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 sure. I guess my point there is just like, yes, that can be a very reductive uh, use of the word planet. Especially when the planet's an ocean planet and one of these groups lives almost entirely underwater. And presumably the sea life of this ocean planet vastly outnumbers the humanoid population that are non-native. So it seems like in that case, if the sea life are on one side of it, shouldn't that kind of be the end of it? I would assume. Yeah. And again, here we go. They play fast but, and lose. Yeah. Why the Dragon Lords didn't just fuck off to the other side of the equator? Who knows? Let's cut to the <laughs> Star Destroyer that's being pulled out of space, though. And our friend Crimson Jack and his great Cold War era submarine like chart board here. He's playing a game of battleship on this ship, right? If there is one thing that I absolutely love in dated science fiction, and not even dated science fiction, because we even see this in like more modern sci-fi, like Battlestar Galactica's reboot. That's exactly what um, I mean, yeah. Is a- antiquity, uh, like antiquity maps yeah. or like antiquated maps. Yeah. In a space setting, Love. it makes zero sense because three dimensions. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a thing. People have brought this up about a lot of stuff. Why are ships always meeting like nose to nose in Star Wars or Star Trek and stuff like that? When conceivably you could constantly be coming above or under people, or you know, there is a broad consensus in sci-fi that there is like a middle plane to any space and we just have to work with that there i guess there has to be in order for us to like comprehend it as a story a little bit right right it like one of my favorite favorite space battles is the one above scarif in rogue one agreed amazing uh, space it's an battle. amazing space battle but if you even think about the physics of that battle yeah. for a few seconds it ceases to make any sense why would a Star Destroyer begin to sink? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's eh. the thing where, you, yeah, we have to acknowledge that. Otherwise, uh, number one, a lot of these battles, number one, probably wouldn't even happen. Yeah. And two, wouldn't make any visual sense to us. Right, exactly. It so would be incomprehensible it, to it, try to observe. It's a, it's a conceit you have to buy. And it's the same thing with, with Star Trek, right? All the submarine combat of Star Trek, like, you know, why just get away from Khan by flying way under him and, you know, stuff like that. But no, it's got to be nose to nose. Right. But Crimson Jack is being pulled down to the planet around the star sun, Drexel. Uh, Again, this planet still doesn't have a name. Uh, He is arguing with the chief engineer, though he is taking it way more reasonably than Governor Quarg. Way more reasonably. Yeah. 
Mostly because he has Han Solo to blame. Yeah, that goddamn <laughs> Han Solo. I love that he's doing the like Robin from '66 Batman thing, going, "Ooh, that Han Solo! <laughs> I'm gonna get him! I'm gonna get him!" Uh, and the the chief engineer here uh, aboard Crimson Jack's ship, yet another eclectically dressed individual who looks like a member of the French Foreign Legion. He really uh, does. Yeah, this guy stepped <laughs> out of an old World War II movie. Uh, and then. Uh, Mod Squad Jolly here, or Jolie, or whatever you want to call her. And oh boy, if we thought there was weird stuff, this the weird stuff with her continues here. This she also hates Han Solo for different reasons. Or does she? Well, that's so she hates him. Be- okay, this obviously this book has no interest in discussing the existence of bisexuals, but. Well, no, but- <laughs> They're accidentally discussing the existence of them, right? Like that. I know, I know. So funny because she's going. Uh, she's upset because uh, she, she says uh, it's that damn princess who kept filling my head with thoughts about things other than pirating. And that, which you know what, that alone, I would have been like, okay, and kind of just gone past it. It's then the narr- narrator narrator's note or whatever here that goes. Things such as being attracted to a man for the first time. A man like Han Solo. Now, they just, in their mind, it's like she was asexual, I think is what they're kind of saying up to a point where it's all, okay. it's all yeah. that time to think about is pirating. Yeah. And to be fair, she, she, look at the guys who are around her. I'm not I'm not surprised to hear this is the first, I mean, what's she going to be into Crimson Jack or the weirdos he's got on his team? So maybe it is just, this is the first even remotely viable partner she's seen. But the fact that they say attracted to a man for the first time to a modern audience is really like, hmm. And again, that does lock us into like a sort of gender binary already. So like yes. maybe she wasn't also attracted to women before. Maybe she was just a kleptosexual up until this point. Yeah, I mean, there, there's also something to say about because this is space by man meaning human. And maybe she's only been into other alien races. Yeah, maybe her and Bosk have had a longstanding relationship. We don't know. There's a couple I'd like to see. That's a power couple. <laughs> That's a, uh, there, there's a Trandoshan human couple in the Afra comics that I absolutely love. There is, like, you're right, yes. Yeah. Yeah, that is fun. And that is certainly something that Star Wars can play around with. Um, but of course, this is 1978, and they're not thinking anything beyond the very surface level of this. But it is, when you read it, you're going like, man, I want to get way more into Jolie's sexuality and like what her deal is. Yeah, and again, I really don't think that's going to have any su- substantial payoff in this book, but it does make me go like, are you even reading the words you're writing, Goodwin? Because, like, I I don't know if you know what you're doing here. No, they don't, because, and it's the thing is, just because at the time, nobody was, right? There was no, everything was well, binary. You know? there, there were, just the white guys at the Marvel office right. weren't. Mm-hmm. Or if they were, it was in, like, deep, deep subtext that they were never allowed to make, like, text on the page. Because Claremont famously was, like, pushing for uh, an expanded roster of representation in in the X-Men books. But even at this time, we were, you were thinking, it was still going as far out as I think most of the thinking was going was uh, straight or gay, not bisexual or any of the other letters. Mm Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm very curious to see if 
we go anywhere with Jolie, but I'm not exactly. I'm not like it. I said. Also, it just it, 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 even even if it was that we won't put it in. But even whatever concept of queer a character would have been would have been still very simple, even in its alternative. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So yes, uh, but but still, yeah, it is just weird to read that. I went hmm? last night when I was reading. Going, <laughs> okay, sure. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, where is Han Solo right now? Well, he's not dead, luckily. He is underwater, strapped to the back of a plesiosaurus, being dragged away by the Dragon Lords. Dragon Lords, which is a guy riding this uh, sea serpent dragon thing and holding a flare? Well, he's holding one of those like sonic staff things that yeah. we've seen before. Uh, and we'll find out exactly what those things do later this issue. So he's alive but, and wet. It, yeah, he is very, very wet. I mean, he's underwater. Of course he is. Yeah, I know. That's, sort of, yeah, that's the thing. But anyway, meanwhile, let's just catch up with everybody. So we'll quickly cut back to Princess Leia on the Millennium Falcon, grabbing uh, an old Super 8 camera. I'm sorry, that's a blaster. Uh Uh. and now when the millennium falcon was shot last issue leia was still inside the ship so she wasn't knocked off which we are told in her inner monologue but the ship was grabbed by the wreckers apparently and they're dragging it back to the ship city correct so they're being pulled and 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 honestly man Shouldn't they just be happy with the Falcon? Isn't that like a huge score for them? Why are they still trying to yank the giant Star Destroyer out of the sky? Like, it feels somebody says that later in the issue. One of uh, Captain Quark's subordinates is like, that thing is like years worth of uh, scrap and salvage for us. And Cap and Governor Quark is like, no, but that ship up there, that's a lifetime. That's his Moby Dick at this point. Oh, yeah. This is Ahab. No, he's fully lost his mind at this point, and it will be the undoing of his society. But so, yeah, pretty much. So we've got Princess Leia acknowledged here as once senator. We've been talking about they've kept calling her senator, and finally they've acknowledged that she's no longer a senator. Mm-hmm. In the description. So I'm glad Goodwin is catching up with the text of the product yeah. he is writing. I still, as much as I love Infantino, I still think his uh, Leia face design is terrible. Well, again, he has a really bad case of same face when yeah. it comes to women characters. Because we even look back at the last page, and Jolie's got those like really sharp eyebrows yeah. that Leia back on this page also has. All of his women seem really harsh, and that's particularly strange when we're looking at in any way. And I don't expect like photographic likenesses necessarily, but in any way representing Carrie Fisher. No, right. So they, um, yeah, so they've pulled it in. Quark's is and now this, but it's not enough, man. Yeah, and this is actually where he says, like, because if we succeed, it will mean metal and parts and plunder for a lifetime, you dolt. And, and, and I mean, literally, the the other guy is so reasonable. Uh, this character from Bridge on the River Kwai that he's talking to, um, <laughs> but uh, he's a. Uh, uh, he's, he's just going like, hey man, uh, regardless of whatever we may get from that, in the amount of time it's taken us and energy to try to pull this thing out of the sky, we're really vulnerable to attack, so we could get wiped out in the time, and he's like, no, I don't care! I mean, basically, this, yeah, there's no listening to reason for him, he's full-on out of his mind at this point. Right, and there's al- also some impetus about, like, I'll do what my father never could to this guy. Oh, yeah. We're not, not even really... We've never encountered his father. We just know that this guy is a bundle of 
nervous obsessions yeah. that will ultimately destroy his people. Absolutely. How? Why? This guy should not be in charge. Um, no. Uh, well, I mean, he and he won't be here in a minute. No. Meanwhile, though, Chewie still trying to murder Luke Skywalker. And I can't believe Chewie falls for the old droid in front of your leg so I trip maneuver. Oh, oh, here's the thing, Master Luke. I'll just lay down in front of him and then, whoop, there he goes. To be fair, this is maybe about as useful as 3PO could be in a combat scenario, is bumbling into somebody's legs. It's true. The other thing I'm just disturbed by is 3PO on all fours. Yeah, that is a posture that I hope I never see again. <laughs> yeah. uh, and Chewie's not having buggins. He's going, broke. I want, I mean, I would expect in this scenario that Chewie would just punt 3PO into Luke. Yep. But whatever. Yep. Nope. Instead, this is all working because on the next page, we'll see that R2 hits him with the old fire extinguisher. Yeah, which, okay. Let's talk about this for a second. I like that he has fire extinguishing foam. That totally makes sense for R2. Yep. As an astromech unit, he would have to put out fires. Totally. I think we've actually even seen him put out fires in like, some of the movies. Yeah, I feel like maybe in the prequels he did on like yeah. ship. Yeah. Or like when we first introduce him on the Nabu cruiser when he's like fixing the shields as yes. they're escaping. Yes. The only one of those uh, astromechs who makes it out of that battle. Right. Well, that's because it's R2-T2. Mm -hmm. And so him having like fire extinguishing foam totally makes yeah. sense. It being able to suffocate a Wookiee into unconsciousness. Yeah. That is what stretches my belief. Well, because as they say here, the they even say spray foam spews from the R2 unit. Foam, foam generally used to smother the flames of ship-to-ship -ship space battle. Now you figure that's going to be a lot less to put out little fires on like an X-Wing than it is mm -hmm. to bring down a Wookiee. Like, how much foam could be contained in his little extinguisher? Enough to knock out a Wookiee, I guess, because uh, now chokes the air and smothers the raging Wookiee with unconsciousness. So my second question is, mm -hmm. if this foam remains applied to Chewbacca, what is stopping him from suffocating? Today? Well, exactly, yeah. <laughs> is it letting in enough air that he is then allowed to keep living? I guess. Otherwise, R2 just killed Chewbacca the Wookiee. Unconscious Luke goes and pokes a couple holes in it where his nostrils are. He's like, there you go. Just stick some straws up his nose, yeah. That, and, and, and Luke just going, phew, that saves us from killing each other for a while. I'm going to have to fight this guy when he wakes up, though. Um, One day, Chewie and I shall have our battle to the death, but not this day. Well, no, because right now he's being summoned by this bodybuilder <laughs> Look at this guy. Yeah. This guy this guy is so jacked, he has a four pack, but it's the equivalent of eight abs. He's got abs that have combined. The the abs have merged into four super abs, John. This guy is that in shape. Uh he is a collection of lines that is mostly abs in the background of a panel. I know yeah, <laughs> those things. Where when you start but yes. losing detail on background characters, they get weird looking. Uh, Luke is dragged up because the governor's plan here is so the 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 city ship doesn't have enough power to uh, use the sonic scrambler to pull the star destroyer out of orbit. 
So his idea is let's hook the Millennium Falcon up to the city yep. to drain the Falcon's power oh, that's to smart. then increase the power of the Scrambler. That's smart because uh, best case scenario, you get the ship. Worst case scenario, you now have no power and no backup power. Yeah, so, you know, it's an all-or-nothing gamble, but that's kind of where they're at at this yeah. point. Uh, well, that's where he's at. I'm not sure if people are... Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. This is a bad plan. Let's be clear about that. Well, it is because Luke calls him a fat-faced excuse for a leader. Hey, man. All right. No body. Yeah, the body... Luke and body shaming. Come on. the things to get on Quark about, but let's not with the weight stuff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could call him a hot-looking motherfucker. Oh, I'd be on board with that. Because that's yeah. just comparative. That's just accurate. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but you could even call it yeah. fat head if you wanted to. I This is actually my favorite part of the, this issue right here, is this last panel down on the right, which is uh, Korg dragging out Leia because they've cap recaptured Leia. Or, not Leia has yet a bit again been captured yeah. by yet another force. But it goes on to my running theory that whoever captures Leia is doing it at a cost because he says it costs us a number of good men yes. to dig out this hidden survivor, implying that Leia killed a bunch of people Leia, before she went down. Leia has dropped so many bodies off panel in this comic. <laughs> yeah. And Leia is, is a legendary murderer in the film. <laughs> well, she sets her blasters to kill John. I did. Yeah, they did say, I did like that later. Yeah. It's just like, she's not fucking around, man. Uh, that's, that, let that be my poll quote. Princess Leia, dash dash, she's not fucking around. Uh, <laughs> it's true, though. I mean, the thing I just wish we saw more of it, because one of the things that was so great about A New Hope and that they're borrowing from this is Leia is no damsel in distress. She's the one who takes command of her own rescue. And, I mean, Leia is such an awesome character, so I'm glad they at least acknowledge she's a badass, if we never see it, though. Yeah. I would like to see at least once or twice a sequence in which she drops like four bodies and somebody who's captured going like, I don't think this is worth it. Yeah. <laughs> Just let her go. Uh, so, yeah, he, that's his big thing is I'm going to kill Leia if you don't do this work for me. Then, meanwhile, I was not expecting this. Let's cut to the previously mentioned lizards that are all over the ship. Which I do like that we're actually getting some payoff. I asked some questions about, like, how are these little lizards, like, cropping up on the ship? And the comic wheels back and answers my questions, which I enjoy. It does indeed. It's a completely insane explanation, but... That the lizards are actually the baby forms of the sea serpents we've been seeing the whole time? Are, yes, insane. Who are purposely spying on... <laughs> and because, yeah. back to the dragon lords, who are... Uh, if if we have the pirate guys, these guys are very superhero-y in their Micronauts outfits. Okay. We get so little look into the Dragon Lord society, but it is... If you thought the cargo cult living on the artificial pirate ship cities was wild. Wait until we get the barest hint of the commune with nature dragon lord we live in underground underwater mountain society. I want to know way more about these guys. These guys have a whole hidden base. Like you said, you talk about they, they feel like they could be their own toy line. A hundred percent. There are some dino riders waiting to happen Absolutely. here. Absolutely. This is huge misdiversion. Because yes, they're reporting back. And it's Han Solo going, ah, yeah, these air pocket caverns make a refreshing break. 
So sure. these people have really figured some stuff out. They're living. But it is sort of a thing where it's like, why are they battling with the the the, the wreckers? So the impetus of their conflict, or at least like why they're at odds with each other, seems to stem from the fact, and we this was covered a couple issues ago, that the dragon lords are the people or the descendants of the people who got to this planet and said, look, what if we weren't murderous space thugs anymore? And everyone still living on the pirate ship was like, you're insane. Go die in a fire. And so they left. Yeah. <laughs> and for some reason, even though once again, they're like, uh, societies don't really actively conflict with each other for land or, I mean, do they conflict for resources? I don't, it's unclear. Uh, it's unclear because we don't really see much of the Dragon Lords' like architecture and how they do things. Like um, it, it seems like they're at. It seems like they're in conflict for metal was the implication, but that comes from Governor Quark, and he's insane. Yeah, I mean, I will say it, it's weird that we spend so much time with the Wreckers and the Dragon Lords, who are seem really fascinating to me, are given like, eh. Because they're the ones who have like actually figured out how to live on this world in a stable and sustainable way, and. Yet they're living at odds with these just like hobo hillbilly pirate yeah. people. It does seem like they are more technologically advanced. They also have the advantage of having, once again, the the predominant life forms on the planet on their well, side. Because, yeah, let's go to the next page because we get our explanations for this. That the little lizards are actually the babies of the, the dragons. Yep. The dragons we learn are also sentient, intelligent creatures and that the staves that the dragon lords have allow them to communicate. Yes. And also, this book can't resist a wizard-looking motherfucker. Oh, this guy is such a weird, like yeah, like you say, micronaut wizard. Yeah, it's so bizarre. Also, I mean, it, it, it's fine. Obviously, it makes sense, but it's so weird anytime anyone calls Han Mr. Solo. Because <laughs> uh, people usually either call him Solo or Captain Solo. Mr. Solo is so... That was my father. That <laughs> eh, could be worse. Could be Sir Solo. <laughs> now listen, Sir Solo, or Solo-san. <laughs> well, we haven't gotten to the uh, the the Star Wars manga yet. We will, I promise oh, you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Will. I'm also expecting to get to a samurai planet at some point here, too, in the in this... Mm-hmm. Solo-san. Um... But, uh, but yeah, so, uh, yes, I, I, God, that second panel where he's nuzzling up to that baby lizard and he's just like, I love it here so much. Yeah. And apparently they need special equipment to understand the baby dragons because they speak at such a high frequency, which again, makes total sense. Smaller creatures, which does require him to put on these crazy headphones. I do love the crazy, like, let's understand babies headphones. Also, there's something so funny to me about Han Solo being the character we know and just him going like, hmm, I don't know. It just seems like you just... Can you imagine Harrison Ford delivering the line, they communicate with sound, right? Pitch beyond the human hearing of uh, at ultrasonic levels? No, I can imagine handing him a script and him going, I'm not saying this. <laughs> they speak in squeaks, right? Oh. I'm, I'm drifting into Patrick Warburton here. Well, it's a fine line. Uh, yeah, they communicate with sound, right? Uh, uh, pitch beyond uh, human levels yeah, of hearing at yeah. ultrasonic levels. On Solo, uh, Captain of the uh, Millennium Falcon. 
Man, I would kind of love to see that. Actually. Yeah, but we, uh, Joey, let's pull up to that uh, Arby's. <laughs> but we find out that the Sonic Jammer that Korg is using to try to draw down the Star Destroyer is actually vibrating or emitting pulses at such a frequency that it is driving the sea dragons mad. Yes. And also eventually it will kill them if the frequency is increased. Right, right. Uh, which is sort of not necessarily the goal of the wreckers, but they're uh, uh, uncaring if that's the consequence of it. And you would think, considering the Wreckers' whole deal is that they use this Sonic Scrambler to pull ships out of the space, mm -hmm. that they would have figured this out by now. Yes. Because we actually got a hint at this in the like first issue here, because that first sea serpent that attacks Luke's ship is going wild because the Sonic Scrambler drew Luke's ship right. down onto the planet. And so when the Dragon Lord showed up and was like, hey, whoa there, buddy, and like lured it away, that actually tr all tracks with what's happening here. This is a rare case in which this comic actually follows through and remembers plot points that yes. it has set up. And the big thing here is that happens on an individual level when they activate these things, but now that they've activated with such... Uh, power, as they say here, mm -hmm. it's spread to the entire dragon population. Yeah, and it's we find out on this next page that it is already beginning to kill the babies. Right. Which are those little lizards. Which so we see the little lizard that this guy was so uh, friendly with in the last page uh, is dead on the table. Yeah. And Han is like, oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah Han, yeah, Han is very concerned about all this. And meanwhile, it's battle. Everyone to battle stations. Get into your purple outfits. Right, because basically the Dragon Lords are like, it's do or die time now. We've got to shut down the Scrambler or our way of life is going to be really, really upset. Which, okay, maybe that's the central conflict that's been driving them, is that like the continued use of the Sonic Scrambler is totally messing valid. with the dragons. Totally valid. Make that clear then. Yeah, that's me. Like, I'm, a, I'm, on, that's I'm on board for any of this. Just I want the comic to confirm, to like solidly confirm any of this. Because sure, that's whatever. Uh, also, I mean, you talk about just we don't get a look at the society. The other thing we don't get is a sense of how many of these dragon lords there are. We really only see these two guys and then some other people in the background when you see, like, the a bunch of guys on dragons. But you don't get the society yeah. like you get with the, the wreckers. In the last issue, we did see a line of dragon lords from <laughs> horizon to horizon, so it's got to be a lot. It is a lot, but I'm just saying, like, when when we're down in the dragon lord society, we see two guys. Right, and we only ever see, really, the interior of one of their buildings. We, like, very briefly see the shoreline of this underwater cave system, and that's it. Uh, and so we turn the page, and we're back to a rad battle scene of a toy playset I'm mad I never had. Uh, oh, man. You just know that there would be a Hot Wheels tie-in where one of the cars would go through the dragon's mouth and out the other end. Absolutely. Look at this thing, though. This guy's blasting away with a two-barreled turret at a dragon. I love the guy, the, the pirate guy who's just flying in the air. I, I really enjoy the, the purple pirate in the middle of the panel that's being, like, nose-booped uh, into <laughs> oblivion by the green dragons coming Great through here. stuff, man, and everybody's got their little elf hats on. Yeah, and this, the, the narration here is trying to drive home the fact that, like, 
maybe they are going for an Armageddon level. Like this is the populations of this world tearing each other apart. Right. In like a, a pitched battle that none of them have ever experienced. It's true. It's just we kind of don't care. <laughs> and again, when the stakes of a planet being blown up are right. the baseline that we come right. into with Star Wars, yeah. the level of expectation here is already so high. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's sort of the thing where you're talking about this, where you go like, I understand objectively the stakes are high for these people, but none of our characters are these people, and we're just sort of bearing witness to right. a battle, which once again could destroy two small societies. Right. I mean, and because that's how you balance it out in Star Wars, right? Is the big, broad context of evil galactic empire that can destroy worlds versus the personal stakes of Han, Leia, and Luke right. in their personal conflicts. Now, all of their own personal conflicts in these stories that we've been covering are basically sidelined at this point because... Remember the whole the rebel base desperately needs to be moved in case the Empire shows up plot that we've completely forgotten in favor of dragons? <laughs> I mean, that is sort of the thing. It's In Star Wars, it's tough to get away from the primary conflict, right? It's uh, And you kind of shouldn't. Even if you can take Sojourn so much, I think Clone Wars does a good job with this, where even when you go to these other planets... The Clone Wars of the title are still the overarching thing that's affecting all the story. Mm -hmm. And I think that I, the problem here is the Empire has no bearing on this. I've been really enjoying uh, the Bad Batch, the new Clone Wars Season 7, if you will. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, which now Bad Batch is in its second season and it is doing a phenomenal job of, yes, we can have a lot of these side stories, but let's never escape the fact that the Empire is this creeping evil in the background that is affecting every layer of society. It's, t I mean, it, it, not to as always, we want to bring them up, but look at what the sequel trilogy had to do to basically bring the Empire back because they can't fathom like finding a new thing, which I think worked to the detriment of that. But it was sort of thing where it's like, okay, we got to somehow reestablish the empire because that's kind of what the whole thing's really about. To an extent. Yeah. But the, even the prequel eras, like you've got your separatists and your republic. Yes. And those are two sides of the same coin I mean, to an extent because, of course, need, Palpatine's playing both sides. You sort of need a war in the background of your Star Wars, believe it or not. Yeah, no, and that's fine. Yeah. I think the big mistake with the sequel trilogy, of course, was trying to one-for-one one recreate, well, the Empire specifically needs to be back and not coming up with some new threat. And therefore then making the events of the original movies kind of meaningless. Right. So, and that's why, let's leap back into this dragon battle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you can already see it's like my blood was starting to boil. It was at a simmer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, all right. Back yeah, to okay. this, though. Yeah, so uh, anyway, uh, while this is happening, Luke is putting his plan into motion with 3PO and R2. Right. He is trying to hook up the Millennium Falcon to the ship city per Quark's instructions. Yes. Uh, but meanwhile, uh, let's, let's uh, go to the next page here. Uh, a dragon attacks the Millennium Falcon. Well, I do like the line about, like, everything will be right as long as something unforeseen doesn't happen. Oh, there we go, an attack. <laughs> uh, you got to love that writing. 
and down the hatch comes, uh-oh, it's a dragon lord. But wait, no, it's not, because open up the visor and it's Han Solo. No, oh, they tell me. Once again, if, I, if they didn't say it was Han Solo, I would not have put together that's Han Solo based on some of that Infantino same face. Yeah. Oh, boy. Speaking of faces, Luke's face in the bottom yeah. middle panel here yeah. as he's excited to see Han alive. Yeah. Actually, Luke's face in all three of these panels at the bottom are really weird. <laughs> he's got those like tiny little pupils and the little eyes. It's very bizarre. Ah! Uh, and also, okay, so I hate this part of the comic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the next page where they start fighting. Yeah, for no reason. It's another thing where if, if they if one other if the if, if one of the others said one sentence, this would be over. There is no reason why Luke should punch Han Solo right now. Right. Because Han wants to help out the Dragon Lords yeah. and stop them from upping the scrambler. Luke Luke's motivations here are wildly unclear, and it seems like he is just Solving all of his problems with violence rather than just saying, but if we let it turn on, we get control of the Falcon, which is the sentence he would have to say to stop this conflict. Exactly. And the thing about it is, it's so not his character. Even if you are just basing it on one movie, Luke is not the quick to violence type ever. Han would be the one who might throw a punch. But in actual, but here just having Luke and just go like, no way, pal. And yes. And also, I won't explain anything. I'm just going to punch you. And then we'll keep arguing. And then once again, it's just like, but this, and then you just go, oh, okay. That's objectively terrible writing. Right. And even if his, because we eventually get that his motivation is once this hookup occurs, the Falcon systems will be back online and we can escape using it. Right. But I assumed his motivations were, but they've got Leia, which again, they could just say, yep, they've got Leia. I have to do this. <laughs> Just like, I, yeah, every character in this comic becomes a violent maniac. Yeah, it's yeah, except for three PO. He's just well, three PO. Three PO is three PO is ever three PO. Maybe the most consistent character across the whole franchise. That's true. Yeah, yeah. that guy is just he three PO gonna three PO. So anyway, they get into this long, or well, I guess not that long, but it's like the anyway they're they're fighting it out here. And then meanwhile, because they've hooked up the, the the they've hooked up the the Falcon, the Scrambler's getting more power, and now the dragons are flailing and dying because the sound of Armageddon is heard. They said the thing, John. They said the thing. Uh, don't you love it when they say the thing? <laughs> it would be so more effective if we saw more than just one dragon dying. I guess it's 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 so much of the problem with this whole comic is so much implied stakes. And yet, when you mm -hmm. actually see stuff happening, aside from a couple of glorious panels of, like, battle, mm -hmm. it is just kind of like, I intellectually understand what's happening, but I'm really not feeling it. <laughs> uh, but we, and we go to Speaking of feeling it, we do get uh, Leia being, fuck this, and Kirk hammer dropping oh, core to make her escape. This hammer punch made me very happy, and the, the whoop of her gut punching him is pretty great. I do like that. That is, uh, that is once again, that is what we want Leia to be like here. Um, uh, even if, goddamn, Infantino, great artist, but I'm not sure the physics of human breasts make any sense to him based on the er, no. motions on this next page. Those things are rock solid. 
All he knows. Well, they're like body armor, right? Well, all he knows is to draw pecs, I think, right? So he just goes, oh, I'll just change the shape of it. I'll keep the physics of 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 male pectoral muscles the same. I was like, hey, you've been drawing superhero <laughs> comics a little too long, buddy. Um, but you've got to so, love what happens next. Oh, yeah, 100%. Leia leads uh, Quarg and his minions past the brig when apparently Chewie, done with his nap, erupts from the wall like the Kool-Aid man. Yeah! <laughs> we get it, and, and with a hearty garark. I mean, Chewie is undoubtedly pissed here because he is looking, I mean, let's be honest, he's probably looking to kill R2-D2 yeah, in this moment. Yeah. <laughs> that trash can droid. I am going to throw that thing into another thing until it explodes. But in the meantime, I'm going to tear apart some pirates that are in my way. The, uh, the Wookiee. Yeah, I thought he was reported unconscious. Safe to keep as prisoner. No. Nope. The stupidity of, I thought he was reported unconscious. Another day just goes, well, he woke up, obviously. <laughs> Reported, geez, I thought he was reported unconscious. That's not like a permanent solution, man. <laughs> and uh, his, one of his minions says, he had to wake up sometime, Your Honor. <laughs> and so Chewie is, now they cut away here in this next panel where he's, but Chewie's pretty strong. Can Chewie bend a rifle like Superman? I've never seen him do that. To be fair, the gear that these wreckers are using it's is subpar. a generation old and yeah. like held together with chewing gum Probably and the force. So. Yeah, it's yes. Okay, I will give you that. If this was an imperial rifle, I would have more. But you're right. This is they 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 don't necessarily have the finest of equipment here. Uh, mostly, I do love Quartz being like, "Hold them off, boys!" and climbing away as Chewie just. You know these two guys are dead. Back away, not today. Um, <laughs> in the iconic words of Disco Stew. Um, and Governor Quark turns his back on two guards long known for their loyalty and utter lack of common sense. Oh, man. That's a... Boy, Goodwin getting snarky on that one. Uh, meanwhile, Han and Luke continue to fight for no reason. Until they... Han, I'm pretty sure that's an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., John. <laughs> It does seem that way. Nick Fury stumbles into the Millennium Falcon. Um, yeah. Han dressed in like a full bodysuit with pouches and like a artificial uh, uh, widow's peak of a, a head cap. It just looks so bizarre. Ladies and gentlemen, race Bannon. Um, <laughs> but then very quickly, as quickly as he changed into it, he's out of the outfit next. Yeah, yeah, because, like, as soon as Luke, God forbid, tells Han what the plan is, suddenly they're back to being pals and Han is out of his costume. Yeah, yeah, and, and there's no moment of, like, hey, you punched me. That was pretty fucked up, man. <laughs> to be fair, like, in this top right panel, Han immediately disarms Luke. It's just like, come on, kid, you don't got this. You're a pilot. That's, that's true. That is true. But, it yeah, so it is like, uh, yeah, you got a couple shots in, but uh, you you weren't going to do anything, man. And then pretty quickly, though, this is when you talk about this thing. There's two pages left, and they're like, we better wrap this thing up. 
the hard cut to Luke being in the Falcon to where we find him on the next page is one of the most jarring instances of comic book gutter teleportation oh. that I've seen outside of books that literally use gutters as a teleportation device a la She-Hulk. Yes, exactly. Yeah, this this is is worse than that. I mean, this is more meta than that. Like, I'm sorry, this is asking a lot. And that called itself out. Uh, right. At yeah. least She-Hulk is like, well, we're going to move between the gutters now. So come along with us, won't you? Right. Uh, because they see that Leia is out on the mast of this ship, and they're like, oh no, we better do something to save her. Go to the next page, and yes, she's being chased by a a, a bizarrely sure-footed Governor Korg, by the way, on this mast. Well, he was born to these masts, John. He's been climbing these masts since he was but a wee lad. Yar, matey. And, so, and he's literally going... I'm hoping to hang you, because that's good for discipline. Although I'm just going like, dude, how do you not realize you've completely lost your empire, no matter what's happening here? Uh, <laughs> uh, but he goes, although maybe if I just shoot you and everybody sees that, they'll also think that's pretty cool. <laughs> so Leia's at the edge of this mast, uh, hanging on for dear life. Behind her, you see pirates tumbling off yeah. as like the war continues well, in the who, background. I think it's like, who, who's going to see you shoot Leia, man? Everybody is kind of running for their lives at this point. Mm-hmm. And then... No, this is very much the the captain as the ship's going down, going like, don't worry, I'll still make it out okay. <laughs> Absolutely. And then... And I get where this is coming from. If you've just seen the first movie, you're under the impression Luke Skywalker is some sort of Errol Flynn swashbuckler. Here comes Luke. Yeah, how did he get from the Falcon to up like where the mast is? There's a there is a quick line in here about it. So when it says there was no time to reach the main mast, Luke went for the nearest one. The fight up is a blur. He only knows he has reached his goal and must act now. So that's just the narrator going like, yeah, don't worry about it. And it's like, well, that could have been something we could see. And and it literally, it just seems like we don't have the pages. We got to put more yeah, to be in, in the panel before, we do see Luke on one of the masts knocking a couple of pirates off in the, in yeah. the background. But you, what you don't see is it's a big jump to go turn the page. He's on the Falcon looking at a video display of, which, by the way, is interesting to me because I don't remember any like video displays on the Falcon like that. What camera's exterior does yeah. the Falcon have? Anyway, uh, what and so- what gets me is that we got to think of these not as ship masts either because it's a city, right? Yeah. He went up like a hundred floors because yeah. the mast is all like buildings and houses. Yeah, that's the thing. So he's on the Falcon, which is floating in the water. And now he's up on top of this giant ship city. Before Quark, Quark who already had Leia cornered yes. before Quark can actually kill her. And this is Luke really being pretty new to the Force and stuff like that. So I don't think he's doing Jedi flips and stuff up here necessarily. I'm going to say that he instinctually accessed the Force (laughs) and used the little mention, but only once seen in episode one power. Not not Force speed. Oh, Force speed. (laughs) Thank God we only saw it once. It's the goofiest shit in that movie. And I, it's one of those things where every time I watch Phantom Menace, I'm like, oh, I forgot about Force Speed. Thank God they didn't try to do that again. When Obi-Wan <laughs> turns into the Flash. Um, 
Uh, yeah, when they speed up the the runtime of the film for a couple of it's seconds, it's pretty bad. Uh, and so yeah, he kicks Governor Korg on the next page, kicks him good. Leia, this is also wild because this have this has to happen in one motion. That he mm-hmm. kicks while he's actively kicking Governor Korg, Leia has grabbed onto his midsection. No, because it says, then as Luke's backswing begins, oh, the princess leaps. So. He kicks Quarg, and then as the momentum of the the you, you know the great in a comic book when you have to use words to describe the actions of drawings. Yeah. Uh, so like a pendulum, he's hit the top of his arc. He's on his backswing, coming back down after having kicked. Leia jumps off the mass and grabs him by the hip, not disrupting his swing at all, apparently. But then they get far enough away with that swing. And land somewhere safely enough that they are unhurt when the main mast then explodes. Yes, because then talk about another gutter jump on the same page. At least the Luke one was a page turn. This one is just to the next panel. They're all just standing on the main deck of the ship. I had to reread the captioning here a couple of times just to grasp like, okay, wait, what just happened? Because it says it is the end. Though the actual fighting continues on into the night, by the first glow of dawn, even that is long over, and a new and hopeful, better era comes to the city ship. You know what I love is a couple sentences that describe a giant battle having occurred in a comic book. So, the battle continued well into the night. Then, by the morning... The battle is over. The Dragon Lords have won. Yeah. They are taking over the city ship, yeah. and our heroes are all fine. Except for Han Solo, who's still fucking pissed. Well, he's more concerned than pissed. Uh, because we have the old Dragon Lord wizard saying, There's no way we can record, reward you for your and your friends, Mr. Skywalker, but your thanks oh. will be ours forever. Uh, excuse me, Mr. Skywalker? Um, it's just so funny. Once again, the misters, you just don't hear it in Star Wars. Um, excuse me, Mr. Skywalker? Um, also, also, Luke just offhandedly saying, at least my misunderstanding with Chewbacca was straightened out. We're not going to see that exchange, but trust me that it got straightened out. Yeah, because look, it seems to be, Chewie seems to be smiling in that last panel, like, yeah, everything's all right. But Han Solo's worried. Mainly, I'm worried about the fact that Leia's buns have become square. <laughs> and like are seemingly a vice around her head, slowly squeezing it. Boy, I, I, I love Carmine Infantile. Might have been a little rushed on that last drawing. Um, well, yeah, because Solo is staring broodingly off into the distance. Yeah. But as Han Solo yeah. is staring into the sky, deep in thought, about a great battlecruiser which may still be there, and its master, Crimson Jack. Well, the next issue promises us showdown! Double! Yeah, but the... Point. Double exclamation point. But the way this comic is going, it could be a showdown between anybody. Yeah. <laughs> could be it could be it could be Luke and Chewie yeah. after all this. You know what? We didn't settle things. <laughs> no, supposedly we're gonna get our big showdown with Crimson Jack next week. Yeah, maybe Jolie's unresolved uh, feelings of lust towards Han Solo will finally be feelings resolved. Never felt in her life, apparently, up to this point. Well, She's look, not you spend your whole life 
being like driven romantically and sexually by the act of piracy and suddenly whole, somebody else's physical form becomes attractive you got to question things my some whole things life about has been about piracy i never thought about love I, I mean and why she would think about it now because han solo that's why well i mean i mean i can't blame her there i mean we're talking 1977 harrison ford though i'm hoping for more of a Oh, what's that movie? Showgirl scenario where it's actually Leia that has like driven these thoughts into her brain. Because every time we mention Jolie's like sudden sexual awakening, Leia is also mentioned. Well, that's the weirdest thing is like, it, not only is it, it's not just that she has lustful feelings towards Han Solo. It's Leia who put them there. That's, I mean, right. the, 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 there's a lot to unpack. This is a therapist dream mm-hmm. to deal with this woman and her confused sexuality. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. So I'm really hoping this this comic delivers a tasteful, interesting, and nuanced take on Jolie the Pirate Queen's sexuality. Oh, I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. I have no <laughs> doubt about it. <laughs> yeah, this is coming from 1978. We'll handle all of well, that that's exactly when they were talking about this stuff. I think Marvel is really <laughs> at the forefront of this area. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that's that's we'll have to find out next week, though. Yeah, that is the end of issue number 14. What our showdown will hold. Let's hope it's with Crimson Jack, because if we could see the the, the tail end of his uh, bethied glory, yeah. I, I would be the happier for it. I just want Han Solo to go, I'm going to put some pants on you, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> nah. The pantsing of Crimson Jack actually has a whole other meaning yeah. in this context. He's been pantsed. <laughs> uh... <laughs> No, all my power came from those thighs. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, uh, yeah. But yeah, why, why don't you let us know in the comments below who you think the showdown is going to be? Is it going to be Han Solo and Crimson Jack? Is it going to be Leia and Jolie? Is it going to be Chewbacca the Wookiee and R2-D2 finally duking out the battle we've all been waiting for? Or some kind of combination of all of them. Maybe showdowns all around. There were two exclamation points. That promises showdowns. Look, maybe the showdown is a metaphor. Either way, let us know what you think in the comments below because, yes, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can uh, like, comment, and subscribe. All of those things help. Uh, Hit the little bingle the dingle down below. I think legally they've asked you to stop saying bingle the dingle. Uh, HR. Okay, fine. Dongle the bongle. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think HR will be fine with that. Uh, uh, and of course uh, if you want even more exclusive content from us you can head over to our Podbean patron page that's patron.podbean.com slash punch up for all kinds of exclusive content from this as well as the other punch up entertainment shows including material components the action shelf and Campbell and Jones meet the monsters absolutely Uh, so thank you so much for listening as always I've been Mike Rigoni I'm John Campbell and remember may the panel be with you.